Everyone, welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Library. I'm Damon Taminawala. Today I was joined by my co-host, Sim Minocha, and we had a very special guest on, Hal Gould. He has an eclectic background from founding New York Fries to being the former, he was the formerly the president of Wendy's Canada, and he currently is the head of IVEST, which is the largest student housing owner operator in Canada. Uh, super humble guy, uh, a, really a tale of entrepreneurship, and uh, this is one of the most interesting interviews uh, that we've done. I think you're really going to like it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Library. Hi, I'm Hal. <laughs> this is Hal. I'm Dama. You know I'm Sim. Sim. That's Sim. Uh, Hal is the... Formerly, actually, you do a lot of stuff now, but uh, the founder, co-founder of New York Fries, the former president of Wendy's Canada, and now one of the largest uh, student housing operate, owner-operators, uh, I think, in North America. Not in North America, but we are the biggest in Canada. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a big part of North America. <laughs> yeah. So. Land-wise, it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I actually like this. This just goes back to what we were saying before the cameras turned on. Um, you have there's not too much information about you. So what? Like just from the beginning, where? Like are you are you from? The first New York fries was from Brantford, right? No, um, actually there was a predecessor to New York fries. Uh, my brother and I started um, a company called Cultures Restaurant. Okay. Uh, um, a long time ago, and we built that up across the country. And uh, about eight, eight years after we uh, we started Cultures, I saw a new uh, one New York fries in yeah. New York City. Yeah. So we bought the rights to Canada then, and then a year later we went back and bought him out, and so we had everything. But um, the first chain was Cultures. Okay. So you have to be you know, a little older than you guys to know <laughs> about cultures, but it was a healthier food, uh, quick service mm -hmm. kind of uh, restaurant that was pretty popular. And so you're born in Brantford, correct? Born in London, Ontario. Oh, but born in London, okay. Grew, I grew up in Brantford, Ontario. Okay, well, I'm, yeah. I'm a Londoner myself. Oh, so yeah, good. So that's, Great. A, that's another alumni thing we have in common yeah. there. But uh, where did you decide to put the first retail location of New York Fries here in Canada when, when you did come up north of the place? Um, Scarborough Town Center. It's a oh. shopping center yep. kind of uh, uh, concept. So Scarborough Town Center was the first one. Um, big shopping center. Yeah. We were lucky enough to get a great location in there. And uh, it took off immediately. It was a great little concept. And Cultures was a fresh food concept. So we had to make everything on site mm -hmm. uh, yeah. every day. New York Fries was incredibly easy. Um, it was like a dream going from one to the other. Mm -hmm. uh, but Brantford did have chip wagons, and that's one where we sort of got mm -hmm. the idea of, uh, of doing something you know, on a broader scale and found New York Fries in New York City, and the rest is history. And, and, and just to pedal back a little bit, so when you, this is a restaurant that you're down in New York and you just, you're like, wait a minute, this restaurant is just a fry. Yeah. Like, and it was kind it was of a click moment. Just and fries and pop. Yeah. And then very and, simple. And when you started New York Fries, uh, 
what was it like competing with like the McDonald's, Burger King's that were over there? Have that sort of add-on of their meals? You know, it, it, it was, um, you know, I think it was a better fry. Yeah, uh, that helped. Um, it was everything was centered around the French fry. We, you know, cooked them three times. Um, it was pretty easy to to um, distinguish ourselves from other fast food uh, mm -hmm. offerings. So, and. Again, it was a shopping center uh, 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 type of thing, and so there wasn't really McDonald's in there. A and W mm -hmm, would right. be the only other, you know, seller of French fries in a food court. Huh. So it's a, you know it's pretty easy, and then of course it grew to poutine and all kinds of things. But yeah. ultimately, still a pretty easy concept to execute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of uh, shopping centers, and I know right now you're currently more involved in the student housing side, but uh, your brother's still <laughs> operating on the near fry side. Is that no, right? he sold it. We he both sold, sold it. Okay. Um, about yeah. four years ago um, to Carrot. Um, yeah. Apparently, it was four years ago. <laughs> uh, and uh, he has. Uh, we both had um, South Street Burger, which yep. he's, I think, closing in February. Uh, Selling in February, mm. the there deal is closing. <laughs> yeah, no. um, but I'm, I, you know, it's more him than me. He, uh, back in the day, I was running Cultures, and and my brother was running New York Fries. So we had mm -hmm. those two concepts. And so, so yeah. So my question uh, in regards to that is that uh, within closed shopping centers, we're seeing a lot in in Canada here, especially in yeah. non-core markets like yeah. London or Brantford, a uh, bit of a downfall in terms of. Tenancies or some big name retail tenants moving out. Yep. So, what's your take on sort of the shop, like enclosed shopping centers going forward, and how that would affect fast food businesses or other businesses that are in the retail sector within those malls? Well, um, you know, they've been calling for the the downfall of shopping centers for a long time now, and yeah. uh, it's a little different in the U.S. where there's so many more of them. And uh, but in Canada, the shopping centers that we do have, the enclosed shopping centers our destination locations uh, and w where they've lost some of their big retailers and fashion retailers they've been able to infill it's more of an entertainment uh, mm -hmm. proposition mm -hmm. than anything else um, and our weather plays into that pretty <laughs> yeah. well yeah um, so you know uh, for the first time in 20 years my brother when he sold New York fries was getting a little down on the on the shopping centers because food, which has become more prevalent in shopping centers, always pays the highest rent, mm -hmm. and and um, and so it was you know getting more and more difficult to make money, and mm -hmm. and and my assumption is that's that's the case today. So can uh, can we pedal back to sure? Um, so d at the time when uh, New York Fries was born, you said you had eight. Uh, eight of these other, like you were growing the other business. Yes. Right? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you opened up the first shop and then what was it like getting to the second shop and was it a franchise model and how did you decide? Uh, what the, put the cultures, is that what you're talking yeah. about? Um, well, we started with one in London, Ontario. Yeah. Uh, the shopping center is no longer there. Um, Westmount? No, 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 it's right downtown. <laughs> okay, so it was called the London Arcade, and it's not even there anymore. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Um, we opened up in there um, on the basis of frozen yogurt, believe yeah. it or not, as a healthier alternative, and then we started building salads and soups and, 
and baked goods around around that. Um, it didn't go well. Like it, really? No, it didn't. Um, and it didn't go well for about seven or eight years, but we kept expanding. How, how old are you at the time? Uh, I was 25. My brother was 21. So we were full of everything but knowledge. <laughs> so it, it, it took us what, quite a while to figure out. As uh, opposed to us, 25-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you're much smarter than we were. Uh, but we, we had passion, and we, we were firmly convinced that this was going to be a, 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 you know, a national phenomenon, and everybody's going to love it. And, yeah. and, and it took quite a while to get to that point. Um, and we expanded with Cadillac Fairview, and you know, we made a few mistakes here and there. But, but uh, over the years, um, uh, finally sold it to a, a grocery chain called Steinberg's out of Quebec. Um, the equivalent of Oblas. Um, we never closed a location. We had a very robust uh, franchise system, and uh, you know it just worked well. What was that um, like? That's really interesting. That eight, you mentioned eight years. Yeah, that it was like you were kind of working at it. And it was like, painful. <laughs> so, so what? So what was? The, what did you change or like what aspect of it, like how did you make it successful in the end? Because it obviously... Um, Just hard work and, and conviction that, uh, you know, we kept seeing increases in sales, but we had to get the cost side under control. It was, it was a, basically a fast food uh, type of concept, but there wasn't any paper goods for salads at the time. Mm, yeah. You know, we had to sort of reinvent everything and it. That took a while, it gave us, you know, our distinctiveness in the market uh, yeah. um, and by the time we got to Toronto we built up quite a following in the in southwestern Ontario and, and other parts of Ontario so it was pretty easy and it, it took off once we got to Toronto yeah I know and, and that must have been before the uh, call it the health craze that there has been in the recent years at least relatively recent yeah, it, it, there was something called participation back then and that's yep. trying to resurrect itself now. And the saying then was that the average 50-year-old Swede was more in better shape than the 20-year-old Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was sort of, but um, there wasn't much of a health craze yeah. at all. Jeez. And, and frankly, while we sold salads and soups and sandwiches that were, looked healthy, they were you know the dressings were ranch dressing oh, and so, yeah. so it it um, it satisfied a, a need for people to think they're getting healthier and and the frozen yogurt was you know also a nod towards healthier stuff eating and um, anyway it, it was sort of in between being really healthy and mm -hmm. being an alternative to all the other offerings Sure, and as an as an operator, right? You were in that situation where you were having to deliver that fresh food. Yeah. Uh, is that sort of why you decided to move away from that into more of the all the fries and something that's a bit more? Well, the fries just looked, was, was you know just a wonderful little easy. Um, you know, my brother probably wouldn't say that, but but in <laughs> by comparison, it was it was uh, a much simpler concept and easier to execute and much cheaper to put together mm -hmm. and, and uh, the margins were great. It's french fries and, right. and uh, pop, 
Uh, yeah. So the margins were really great. You just had to get the volume to a point where. <laughs> yeah. And was is your brother now faced with release when he was operating it uh, fully? Was he facing those headwinds of that health craze that uh, started? Not uh, at all. No. Coming no. out? <laughs> Not at all? Not no? at all. Okay. No. It, 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 he positioned it. It was pretty brilliant that he was able to keep a concept uh, of French fries and yeah. pop um, so vibrant ov over a period of 30 or 35 years. Um, but it was, it was seen as a, uh, you know, a, a treat, um, an expensive treat. Yeah. Um, so you'd treat yourself to mm -hmm. New York fries. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a daily, necessarily a daily thing. Cause yeah, yeah. nowadays blow call up that a break <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah. break day in the diet. Yeah, so yeah. We, we felt we had both sides covered. Yeah. The healthy and the not so healthy. <laughs> um, so I, I think, uh, like, I watched the founder earlier this year. Have you seen that movie? I haven't. Okay, okay. so... That's Ray Kroc, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, the, so for those of you who haven't seen it, the movie about uh, McDonald's right. being the founding of McDonald's. Right. Um, and he has a large real estate component um, yes. uh, to that business. So uh, one thing we wanted to ask you is, like, when you were building out New York Fries, what what uh, part did real estate have in that? Well, it, it had a big part, but it was not an ownership part. Um, okay. We're basically a food court um, uh, player, and we had to ensure that we were at the entrance to the food court. We wouldn't go deep hmm. into the uh, food court because we'd lose too much, and we wanted the passing traffic and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah. So. You know, while it wasn't, we weren't buying any real estate, we, we spent a lot of time trying to get the right location. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and you know, we were able to do that as we got better and better because we, we had a track record. And, you know, there weren't that many big players in the, in the uh, shopping center business. So once you've showed yourself to Cadillac Fairview or Cambridge or, you know, yeah. um, they'd like you and put you in all of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and then the option to go inside of malls instead of uh, at a freestanding building or uh, on a strip? Well, um, whenever we tried to go out onto the street with New York Fries, it didn't work particularly well. Interesting. It was a great shopping center uh, mm. concept. So, so almost like you've walked around the mall, now you need a snack. That's the exactly. kind of... Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people are just walking around the mall, not necessarily shopping. It's a, yeah, it's an entertainment uh, alternative. Yeah. So that um, that decision making in terms of finding the proper place to lease, let's say you're wanting to go into a shopping center in a specific area, uh, how has that sort of decision making process changed now when when you're Good looking for acquisitions on the student housing side and exactly sort of what are you doing right now first of all and uh, walk us through a little bit of that. That's a hell of a segue. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, real estate within our portion of the food business wasn't our number one concern, but it was pretty close. Yeah. Um, so when I got involved with iVest, I thought I was pretty smart in the real estate business. And, and Were you already investing in real estate at that time? A little bit. A little bit, buildings here and there, but but nothing serious. More investment than than uh, you know, passive investment rather than. Active. Okay, uh, so like as a partner with other people that were operating. Yeah. That okay. Yeah, 
yeah, uh, or not big enough to, to require. require. Okay. Uh, so, um, but anyway, I always thought I was, you know, pretty well tuned into the real estate business, and, yeah. and uh, so when an opportunity came up to uh, to join my now partner uh, Richard Ivy in in uh, his family real estate business, yeah, um, I it, I didn't hesitate. I thought it was great <laughs> business, and I I could figure it out. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, at the time, it was a little more figuring out than I than I thought it would be. But but uh, you know, very quickly, it's you know, it was, I I entered the business at a very good time. How how does that opportunity like? You mentioned when you had the opportunity to uh, partner with Richard. How does that? Did you guys know each other previously? Yeah, we were, we we had gone to uh, high school together. Okay. And I was on his board. He had a, a a conglomerate called Livingston Industries, and he had this sort of orphan real estate business that he inherited that was centered in London, Ontario. Mm -hmm. He moved from London to Toronto, and was trying to sell the real estate business. And at that time, in 1997. Um, Nothing was selling in London, Ontario, or anywhere, yeah, yeah. anywhere outside the GTA. And the GTA at that time was just slowly recovering from getting clobbered in the late '80s, early '90s. Right. So, so it 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 wasn't doing very well when I took it over. But but I knew London pretty well, and uh, uh, you know things got much better pretty <laughs> yeah. quickly. And. Uh, and um, Sorry, uh, at the time, how big was the portfolio? Well, the portfolio was uh, valued at twenty million dollars. Okay. So it uh, it had some uh, some impressive uh, assets. It had a, a, an entire downtown block right on Central Park in in London. Uh, yeah. It had uh, three quarters of a million dollar or three quarters of a million square feet of of. Uh, Industrial, which sounded great, but it was sort of pre-war buildings and right. stuff. Right. But it had the Ivy name, mm -hmm. um, so I could make that twenty million dollar portfolio look a lot bigger than it was, <laughs> and, and that helped because there were opportunities galore. Yeah. yeah. Um, just tell you about cap rates at that time. Um, cap rates were anywhere from ten to fifteen percent. What were uh, interest rates at that time? About seven or. Wow, eight um, percent. Nothing was selling, so uh, vendor takebacks were very common. Um, mm -hmm. It was very easy to buy stuff, and and uh, so I bought everything. I bought uh, <laughs> little strip plazas. I bought parking lots. I bought an operating hotel with a couple of restaurant pads. Richard <coughs> would say that it was the most unfocused uh, real estate <laughs> portfolio ever, but. The yields were fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you'd actually like model it out, right? As opposed yeah. to nowadays, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy stuff. anything unless it, I was getting close to twenty-five percent return on <laughs> cash invested. That's so that's, ridiculous. That's, it's ridiculous by today's yeah, yeah, that's great. standards. <laughs> now, you know, it was outside of the GTA, and 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 uh, people weren't buying stuff outside of the GTA. But um, I told them that you know we may never be able to sell this stuff. But it's uh, it's going to be great. Cash flow is still there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and and like, so it sounds like phenomenal oppor opportunity. And with mm -hmm. hindsight, 
you can say that yeah. was No, if I'd been smarter, crazy. I would have bought a lot more. That's but at the time, a lot of risk. How do you be like? How do you be confident in your decision there? And what you know, was it? Like it sounds like you kind of just jumped right into it. I like did. I, I, in my first month, I bought a, um, a pretty good strip plaza in the Masonville area. Yeah. Um, yep. Um, and it was at that time owned by a vulture fund, which it was a. There were lots of vulture funds as a result of the the real estate crash in the early 90s. Yeah. And they just wanted to get rid of it, and I happened to be there, and um, there was some vacancy, but, but during due diligence, we filled it up. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And, and uh, so things started going like that. So yeah. at that point in time, it was pretty much solely focused on London, Ontario. Is that London, correct? an area. An area, yeah. let's yeah. say. Like Southwestern Ontario. Okay, yeah. Southwestern Ontario. Yeah. And when did you guys decide to sort of expand above and beyond that geographic area? We didn't, area? actually. We didn't. Okay. Um, after uh, about five years, uh, I got a visit from a young guy called Ray Stanton, who was in the student housing business uh, out of London, Ontario. And uh, he had built, built or bought from duplexes. He sort of graduated his yeah. way up the scale. He had about 1,500 beds when he came to see me, and he'd, he'd run out of friends and family to finance them. Um, and he wanted long-term patient money, and he, he uh, took about 10 minutes to, to become huh. partners with him. He was a brilliant guy, mm -hmm. continues to be my partner, and he's, you know, he's, he's brilliant. What was the pitch that got you? Um, well, he, he, he had 1,500 beds, so that was uh, pretty <laughs> easy. He uh, also was constructing, um, uh, doing his own construction. Yeah. Uh, which makes a huge business in the real, there a huge uh, difference in the real estate business. If you can build your own stuff, you can do it a whole lot cheaper than going out and hiring Elliston or Acon or whatever. The, mm. the, the margins are considerably different. Yeah. Um, so he had a couple of sites right at Western, right, actually right beside the Ivy School. The Red Bricks there. Yeah. Um, yep. That was the first building. There were yeah. 220 students in there. My responsibility was to come up with the equity to to do the construction financing, and then yeah. we'd see what happened on on uh, takeout financing. Um, we were lucky enough to finance out of that, and so you know I'd be stupid not to continue yeah. under the, yeah. under those circumstances. And um, you know we've had a brilliant partnership ever since. Wow, and and why? Uh, what about student housing is is so exciting? Like in the long term, and, wh and why is it a good investment? Because obviously, you know. Well, we have two parts of, of our business, uh, actually three parts. The, we started out in the off-campus, but as you know from the red bricks, you'll see not only in London, but they're all over the place now. Yeah. Um, they look like they're on campus, so <laughs> yeah. location is critical. Like yeah. You don't want to be a kilometer away from Western, that's a, not a winning um, proposition so we had to be look like we were on campus mm -hmm. so we built a bunch of those and then and then uh, University of Guelph offered us a site on a long-term hundred-year lease um, where we didn't pay very much and then we put 850 students there and we gradually got more and more into on campus so yeah 
most of the stuff we've done in the last 10 years has been for colleges and universities where they give us the land, we build, we manage, we own. Do they lease? Uh, do they fill them up with first year residences, or is it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it's not off campus. It's, it's it, true on campus. Yeah, and, and colleges are a little different than universities because they're they're only two years. Okay. And and we found out very quickly that it's you know if you're going to be off campus, you want a four year university. Right. You don't really want two years because it's turning over quickly. I learned that in my first property that I bought right Did on First Street in Oxford there in, in London. Yeah. It was yeah. uh... It can be a painful lesson. Okay, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. We and the students are a little different. Um, um, so, um, <laughs> we, uh, we, we, we found a model where we could go to colleges and universities and say, we'll give us the land, we'll build it, we'll, we'll look after it. We'll manage it, we'll own it, and um, you know, it's worked out very well. And then how is the, like how do you, the, you transferred from running uh, retail operations and then managing buildings and then now, and then construction and how, like. That's not my expertise, and I just hooked up with a great <laughs> partner. <Okay. laughs> I, you know, I, I, I was responsible for coming up with the money for the equity for all these projects. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, frankly, I'm more like a merchant banker than, 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 than an operator. Um, Ray looks after the operations, he looks after the construction, um, and so that's his side of the bargain. Mine is coming up with the money. So do you guys do sort of, uh, there's obviously a few different ways you could structure the equity. Are you guys typically doing like an LPGP, uh, where you guys are the GP and going up to different no, LPs? it's just and that and we, we have been very fortunate. There's just him and me. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's a 50-50 deal. He does what I just told you and I yeah. do what I do and we it put works. that in a little silo once we've done yep. it and we move on to the next one. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And We uh, haven't required, other than mortgage financing, we haven't yeah. required any outside uh, capital, which oh, is, uh, good. has been great. That's good. Have you guys ever thought about sort of pulling that book that you have together and, and taking that book We're, public, we're probably big enough to be a a small REIT, yep. um, uh, but um, you know, you had trouble finding stuff about me, you'd have trouble finding stuff about Ray Stanton as well. Right. Um, we like being private, mm -hmm. um, no interest in being public, um, and we manage for most of the colleges in Ontario and some out west and, and, and some universities and some other developers. And those colleges and universities expect us to be constant. That's how we get the business. They don't want us flipping stuff or selling stuff. So, right. so our, our approach is we build and we own forever. Mm -hmm. we, we, we get long-term financing. Um, is, it, is it CMHC oftentimes? Oftentimes it was CMHC and, and we had to get CMHC used to Put, you know, financing on leased land. Uh, yeah, mm. and they'll give uh, you even a takeout financing prior to getting a construction loan. So yeah, and, and we would do that exit. very often. Yep. Uh, as soon as we started construction, we'd, we would contract for the takeout financing, and it would be for 20 or 25 years, not five years. We wanted to build it, put it to bed, and... The and term would be 20 to 25. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, which that's, is very that's unusual. unheard of. Yeah, exactly. That is unheard of. So it was, you know was uh, yeah. a lot of 
uh, sun lives and nanny lives and uh, yeah. the people who are prepared to go longer term. Yeah, because most uh, traditionally in real estate financing, like name and most of the stuff that I do is five, right. three year, five year, ten year. Right, and uh, that's, terms that's worked out really well over the last 20 yeah. years. Mm. Uh, and we probably <laughs> missed some opportunity there, but um, we probably would have got a little reckless too. Right? You'd be yeah. refinancing and refinancing yeah. and taking money out and, and being very happy about it. But leveraging up, leveraging up. This that's, that's way we felt happening. like we could sleep at night. And um, you know, we, we've been at it now for um, 17 or 18 years. And, and that first one in in uh, in London is coming up sooner rather than later, and it'll be all paid off. And mm -hmm. and so from that standpoint, they're great assets to hold um, if you've got great locations, there's no reason why they shouldn't be there forever. Yeah. Um, and can you talk about the returns relative to... Not very easily, but... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, like, but like, how does it compare to... Because um, we had a discussion about uh, property in St. Catharines, and I was saying, well, how, yeah. how does student housing compare to just regular multi-family? Is it 50 basis points? Um, from a cap rate, they are. Yeah. Um, but um, no reason why they should be a whole lot different. Um, uh, with a with an off-campus uh, uh, student housing, you you know you're going to turn over in three or four years, but it's more yeah. likely two or three years. There's a little bit more turnover than single family, mm -hmm. and it's purpose-built usually, mm -hmm. um, so you're not. That's that's a danger down the road, and another reason why you don't want to be too far away from the institution you're serving. Um, we think it's as good or better. Yeah. Uh, the the cost ratios we think are a little better. Um, there's a little more risk involved, so hence mm -hmm. there's a probably a half a point difference in cap rate. Right, and, and also something that's interesting is you know uh, turnover in multifamily has gone from like. 25% to 20 to 15%. Right. I think now it's even lower than that year over year. Right. Where student housing is still every three years, you know. Yep. Yep. That That's right. Now, it does give you pricing power, assuming things are going up. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do it more often and without the constraints of the Landlord and Tenant Act. So mm -hmm. um, you get a little more flexibility if, as long as, you know, the school you're serving is you know, going up in enrollment and stuff like that. And how do you uh, determine, I mean, when I was living in university uh, nearby the campus, it would be a sort of an option, do I want to save a little bit of money or do I want to spend a bit more to be in a bit of a newer build, nicer, a bit more mm -hmm. amenities, right? So how did you guys determine uh, where you would fit into that market and, and sort of why did you guys decide to do what you did? Well, again, it wasn't my decision, but I, I had this young fellow, Ray Santon, who yep. had, had some experience in it. So he, he made all his mistakes along the way. And, and so by the time he got to me, he knew, pretty, he knew the ideal size, the amenities required. Uh, most of our buildings are three, four-story buildings. Um, they don't have uh, elevators because there's nobody there in the summer. Um, they're purpose-built, mm -hmm. um, and and um, so on that basis, you can build a pretty effective um, and pretty reasonably cost uh, mm -hmm. structure and still make them look good. Yeah, and yeah. functional. Yeah, and, yeah, and bigger, much bigger uh, suites than you'll find in the GTA. Mm -hmm. you know? well, I guess the Trump Tower uh, was in a bit of trouble over here a while ago, so uh, you don't need to build the Trump Tower for. 
for students right. for it to no, make you sense. Have, you have to, he's sort of brilliant that way, builds it for the long term, um, not trying to be the highest end, yeah. not the lowest end. So yeah, competitive you know, in price and, yeah. and good, the great locations, good not even good yeah. locations, yeah. great, great locations. That's, that's exactly yeah. what you're looking for. Um, one, so, <laughs> so, uh, uh, one one thing. So we initially met. Uh, we all met at the same time. Yeah. Uh, back in uh, Ivy, we were all going to the same classes. So <laughs> um, no, we had a class uh, with Ken. What's his? Yeah. Okay. But so one of my favorite. Yeah, uh, he he taught entrepreneurial marketing yeah. at Ivy. I hope Hardy, he still does. Tom uh, Ken Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we used to have the case method and. Uh, the protagonist of each case would come in, and right. I, I don't remember if we had a case on iVest or what, but no. you, you and no, <laughs> and so and you and Richard came in just right. to tell us about uh, your business and you know how being an entrepreneur is. Right. Right. Um, but at the time, uh, you were talking about Detroit and yeah. opportunities there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, well, there was uh, Detroit was an opportunity. We, we, we looked at it. Uh, I wish we'd been more aggressive, uh, but uh, we ended up buying a, a high-rise, a 25-story high-rise in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, a, as it turned out, about a week before the city went bankrupt. And um, there had already been some movement in the city. A guy called uh, Quicken Loans came in. Dan Gilbert, my Dan dude. Gilbert yeah. came in and bought everything in sight. Spent we thought that billion was a billion dollars. This is the, yeah. the, the CEO of Quicken Loans. Yep. Yeah, they put their head office there. Yeah. And everything too. Is, yeah. that, is that sorry to interrupt? Is that what you were talking about? Where uh, somebody went in and hired like private security for? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. he went to the city um, prior to it going bankrupt and said, "I want to move all my businesses into downtown Detroit, and I want my." my employees to live in downtown Detroit. Mm -hmm. So uh, he went to the city and said, I'm going to need increased police and I'm going to need cameras and all that. And they said, well, sorry, we'd love to do that, but uh, we don't have the money. So they allowed him to do it himself. And, <laughs> and, and as a result, it, uh, you know, that wouldn't happen in Canada. No. Um, this is sort of like Private the security Wild West. Yeah. And, and Detroit was in such a bad say, mm -hmm. state that um, it, it made some sort of sense. And it's worked out spectacularly for him um, and anybody else with, that was lucky enough to get in on the bandwagon when we, we just got lucky. We bought a 25-story, 325-unit uh, high-rise for six million bucks. Wow. Uh, now, it needed work. Uh, yeah. We ended up putting another six million into it uh, yep. and clearing the building out. But still, yeah. cheap, 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 cheap. We were looking at a property there actually in, my, in the first or second year of, uh, of working. It was right downtown in the CBD and I had no idea about the Detroit revitalization and everything that was happening there. I mean, that, yeah, Dan Gilbert and Mike Hillich, they put, I think it was like yeah. nine billion, just yeah. in that one core yeah. area too. Yeah. Was your property near the CBD or? It was in the CBD. Oh, it was right and in the CBD. And, and yeah. it qualified for, um, uh, rent abatement for anybody who lived downtown. So um, Quicken Loans and all their associated companies could come and live in our building and get a 20% rebate from wow. the company. Huh. So it, uh, it worked out beautifully. There you go.
for those watching at home, our cameras both died, so now we're <laughs> using a phone. We've switched. That's why we're all cozy. So, um, where were we? Uh, we we had were just talking about Detroit. Yes. Yeah. Just yeah. talking about Detroit and sort of the market revitalization there. And yeah. I mean, I was saying that uh, off camera here that 25 stories, that's a lot to manage. So, yeah. how did you guys do that? We, we ended up uh, actually bringing in people from Canada because there really oh, wasn't okay. any qualified mm -hmm. labor in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> they were all gone. Um, and it was difficult, um, pretty scary for, for Canadians. Um, but we worked through all that and, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful success story. It's, it's worth going to see, especially if you've seen all those documentaries on how bad it really was. Yeah. Um, and to see how good it is today. And, and it continues to get stronger, like, every day. It's fantastic. Oh. And it's, you know, it wasn't all just goodwill. It, it, there was, it was an inexpensive place to, yeah. to, to buy. And yeah. uh, so Danny Gilbert, he's got some Detroit uh, uh, roots, but it was a good business decision more than anything else. Well, and labor is cheaper there. Yep. You've got people living there. Now, they're, they're making the same effective income, right? Your employees, because right. they're living in it. Mm. Yep. They don't, they're paying. I don't know how much you guys were charging for uh, Well, it started out being month, uh, six, 600 bucks a month, and that was difficult to get. It's up to, for a, a one, uh, you know, one bedroom. Mm -hmm. It's well over a thousand, and downtown it would be comparable to uh, Toronto because there's there is no downtown oh. residential in Detroit. It's just now. It's either a converted office building, mm -hmm. or that's it. And the building that we were looking at back there, like the rents had gone from six dollars to twelve dollars on an office building. And if you right. look at twelve dollars, still it's no, no, very still pretty cheap. Very, very, very reasonable. So it made a lot yeah. of sense for made. companies to to go there, and vacancies had gone. From I, like up to I think it went up to like 90 percent occupancy rate actually right. in the CBD yeah. area, which was right. if you looked at that five years before that, it was a lot, lot less than yeah. that. So yeah, no, it's 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 been a great success story and continues to be. So just for context, when when did you close on that property? Well, um, I, I'll get the year wrong, but um, you know, if you look it up on Google, whenever they went bankrupt, we bought the week before. It was just just lucky, really. And and when it went bankrupt, unfortunately, it caused a lot of problems for for you know ex city employees and stuff like that. But it did give the city a, a reset, and where they right. could not respond to fire or police or anything beforehand. Um, they all of a sudden had money to do that stuff, and and so, and mm. you know, in contrast to Toronto, um, if you wanted a building permit or something like that, you'd call up the, and they'd say, "Fine, we'll ah. send it over." How much do you want to build? Yeah, build exactly. more, please. We more had jobs. some. We have some extra space. It's it's on Lafayette Park, um, and, yep. and uh, we have some extra space where we could build an extra building. We call up the city and say, "Well." We'd like to build, and they say, "Well, okay. When do you want to get going? We'll, you know, what can we do for you?" Yeah. A little Maybe, different than yeah. Uh, even since <laughs> yeah. Korea, I mean, uh, Greg Romont was telling us that the timeline just in the U.S., not Detroit aside, which has had its issues, but even in other states and jurisdictions, right. the approval process timeline, the construction process timeline, right. everything is streamlined. Right. Uh, do you face the same hurdles that we face here in Toronto when we're looking to sort of add? units uh, when, you, when you're doing the same thing for student housing or 
for something we're, we're like a little, the student housing business is sort of, you know, it's, it's institutional, really, mm -hmm. so okay. um, it's a, much better than, than uh, private. But I'm building an office, little office up in, up in Laird Eglinton area, and it's mm -hmm. painful how long it takes <laughs> and yeah. how much you have to go through to renovate a pretty small building. Right. I don't know. Oh. Um, do you see, I mean, that was a very unique scenario in, down in mm -hmm. Detroit. Um, mm -hmm. Do you see any place where there's similar opportunities in wherever? That's the very <laughs> worst example. Of, yeah. of, but, you know, there's been examples of other uh, U.S. cities. I think Trump, uh, Buffalo's making a pretty good comeback. Mm. Cleveland has made a pretty good comeback. Um, Phoenix nothing. has made a fantastic comeback, yeah, too. Yeah. Um, so there, there are opportunities. You know, the U.S. is a little more all in or all out. You know, when things go yeah. bad, that's the time you should go in. Uh, when things are, they usually get a little overheated. They're a little more entrepreneurial yeah. than, than we are here. So uh, they tend to be a little too exuberant at times, and that's right. uh, back in the 2008-9 area. There were wonderful bargains in the U.S. and and we we bought some student housing in the U.S. and I I wish we'd bought a whole lot more because mm -hmm. it was incredibly cheap. Yeah, and even just from the you said the U.S. has a lot of sort of more risk and it's more reward in some ways too. Right. But uh, from just a, a financing perspective, we would go to these mortgage banker converse conferences down in uh, San Diego mm. every so often and um, it was just incredible the way that they look at deals and, and structured finance and mm. everything is non-recourse which sort of mm. is completely uncommon here especially in, mm. the, yeah. in the more private uh, real estate market mm. but one thing that we noticed was just that it seemed like they were willing to take more risk in, mm. in a lot of situations and, and charge for that yeah. um, and go up to leverage points that would just be strange to us. Banks would yes. be giving equity money uh, and yeah. equity guys would be loaning on, on debt, which is not the same over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually in the financial meltdown, our conservatism probably saved our bacon. Right. Literally. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> saved your Canadian bacon at least. Yeah. Um, we, one, the one thing, because uh, we, we should wrap this up just, you know, been, it's, it's been, uh, we're over our time, okay. so. Um, we haven't asked you too many questions about Wendy's. Yeah, uh, uh, Wendy's was great. Um, uh, I had been running Cultures. Um, I started another business after I sold Cultures, and um, it was a retail or a fashion business that I have great respect for fashion retailers. <laughs> greater um, respect now? <laughs> much greater respect. Um, you are a pretty fashionable guy. Uh, yeah. I can see um, that. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was, um, in those days, it was a branch of the U.S. And, and uh, so when, when somebody didn't do a good job in Canada, and there were only a couple of hundred restaurants in Canada at the time, mm -hmm. they'd send up a district manager from Texas or something and, and wouldn't right. have a clue about Canada. Um, and it had a pretty big franchise system and, and it wasn't being looked after properly. It, it had been losing five million bucks every year. Huh. So they finally decided that they wanted a, a, a more entrepreneurial uh, head of the company and, sure. and a Canadian. So 
they found me and and I spent three and a half years there and you know up until the last part it was absolutely fantastic it um, gave me an appreciation for a public company yeah the urgency involved in the quarterly earnings and all that sort of stuff which you don't often get as an entrepreneur um, you know you tend to maybe took us eight years to get cultures going right. uh, you tend to take a little longer horizon and and you don't have the same usually the same kind of urgency but uh, like, like at the end when September's coming up you're just thinking like oh, you're on the horn with every regional manager we got to sell yeah, more burgers yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are downsides to it but but um, overall it was it was a wonderful experience Okay. And I was around when Dave Thomas was around. You guys probably don't know that, but he was a wonderful, he was the starter of Wendy's, and he was a, huh. a wonderful pitch man. He was very, you know, he, was, he basically resurrected the company based on his TV commercials. It was, it was, it was fun. What, what uh, we are constantly pitching uh, in our businesses, brokerages. Um, so what about his pitch was so inspiring that he just was um, pretty grandfatherly and uh, very plain spoken um, it mm. took uh, the advertising agencies literally years to get him to stop saying business 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 <laughs> business mind your own business <laughs> yeah um, he didn't have uh, much of an education he was uh, he cooked during the Second World War on a ship. Uh, he was uh, Colonel Harlan Sanders' first franchisee and then went out and did his own thing. Square wow. hamburgers. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. Holy. It's all in yeah. the family there. And, that's, then, that's and awesome. then I hooked uh, Ron Joyce of Tim Hortons up with them and they were both two peas in a pod and they got along beautifully and, until they didn't. Um, but it was a pretty good marriage of two Great entrepreneurs and, and uh, like-minded, aggressive, um, good guys. Wow. Awesome. Um, Maybe get to some personal stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, oh, just, okay, uh, this, I just don't want to skim over this because um, Gould Outdoor Advertising is yeah. also. Yeah, it was uh, my father's business. Um, it was centered in, um, southwestern Ontario from St. Catharines and the uh, Niagara Peninsula down through Kitchener-Waterloo, mm -hmm. London, Sarnia and uh, it was his business but at the same time he was running a company called Mediacom that was the biggest in the country it was American owned and his business um, uh, sort of suffered while he was running the much bigger right. thing and then he, he died very young 49 years old um, and it sort of floundered for a year or so and then I went to take it over and I was 25. Yeah. What were the biggest lessons that your uh, As you're your running cultures. Taught? Yeah, wow. That's and starting New Year's Prize. Yeah. Yeah. What were the biggest lessons that your, uh, your father taught you? What was called the biggest Well, lesson? you know, I, I, my brother and I both often lament the fact that um, we would have loved to have a father around. Um, now it, it probably helped us grow up a lot faster and right. to learn stuff without the benefit of his knowledge. Uh, but he was a great guy and, you know, mm -hmm. missed that opportunity. Uh, lucky enough to live through it yeah. and do reasonably yeah. well. Quite successfully, yeah. So for guys like us, like Bama and myself, what sort of advice would you give us while we're in our careers, we're 
we're, we're doing good, we're doing well, but we want to make sure we're staying on the right track moving forward. Uh, how do we how do we do that in yeah, the best way? How do we navigate well, that? Well, it sounds to me like you're doing the right things uh, right now. Um, you know, it's hard for me because uh, I'm a, a little older to, you know, I look at you guys and you've got bursting with energy and, and you're capable. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, opportunities will present themselves. Not everybody's, you know, I talk to a lot of young people who want to be entrepreneurs and, mm -hmm. and quite frankly not everybody is, you know, well suited to the mm -hmm. risk side yeah. of things. Um, which doesn't mean anything, really. Um, doesn't mean you're not going to be successful and, and or wealthy or wherever you want to be right. in life. Um, but, you know, look after your, you know, it's a long life. Um, you're likely to probably work until you're 70 years old or something. Yeah, like hopefully longer. Hopefully longer. That's a, that's a long runway. So your reputation, your integrity, all that sort of stuff is, is it'll pay dividends if you keep that uh, up over time. Um, and just remember that things do come around and, and so you want to, you know, keep your head up and, and uh, do the right thing whenever you can. One more question on that. Uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I, I just started my own company about six months ago. Great. Dema is in the, uh, the brokerage side, so it's the most entrepreneurial thing yeah. I think you could be doing. What are the key tips for an entrepreneur specifically? So it's sort of knowing yourself, knowing that we are guys that are hungry, taking risks, and, and willing to do what it takes to, to succeed. How do we sort of navigate? What are the key things that you focus on to help grow groups like Cultures, grow groups like New York Fire, grow iVest? Um, you know, I, I don't know that I can come up with any great pearls of wisdom. Um, um, you know, being passionate about what you do um, and, and, you know, keeping your eyes on the, on the goal is critical. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're diligent and, you know, got integrity and, and you approach things honestly, ultimately you're going to win. Okay. I, I, uh, now, that's really good advice. Yeah. And uh, now I almost feel weird asking this question, but the three truths is basically, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we'll do the one truth. Because uh, let's do two. Let's do two. two truths. Okay, two so um, this is a question that we ask all of our guests. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to screw this up. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you can take your time. It's okay. <laughs> um, so uh, imagine years from now, you live a very long and happy life. Right. Uh, and you live to be 150 years old. And you have lots of kids and grandkids and mm -hmm. uh, everybody loves you and everybody's around you but it's your last day uh, and for whatever reason everything that you've put out the books that you've written the videos like this and uh, all of the information it's gone uh, and your family and friends and the people that you love they uh, were hoping that you could write down uh, two notes on how they should Two notes of advice. Oh yeah, that that is a difficult question. I didn't see that on your. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, what advice would you give them? Is the question. Yes. Then not too much different than what I just told you. Um, um, you know, be true to yourself. Um, it'll work out. It is a long life. Like you've got another potentially fifty years of earnings in front of you, and. Uh, um, there are going to be some bumps in the road, and you just sort of have to take those into account and 
drive on through them and and if you're sitting around at 150 talking to your family and friends I mean that's, that's probably the best thing you could be doing right okay um, somebody who actually likes you is <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> They want to sit in the same room with you. So yeah, they're good. all sitting there. What is this guy still doing? Yeah. And I often think what, what advice I would give to my kids, because they're your age, you're a little bit older, and, and uh, you just sort of struggle with it. You just sort of have to show them by example what kind of person you are and what kind of a person mm -hmm. you expect them to be, and it's not that difficult. Um, you know, to, it might be difficult to look as good in their eyes, but that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, all along the way. So. Uh, I wish we had like, I wish we I had know. like 10 hours. We <laughs> didn't even get to the fiber optic cable. Yeah, that's great. Uh, stuff. Is there anything <laughs> that, uh, is there anything that people should be paying attention to or um, things that you're doing that? Uh, uh, I've got a couple of young partners. I've got a board meeting uh, uh, later on today with a company called IQ Office Suites. Uh, oh, um, hey. Um, um, <laughs> Alex wanted me to tell you, right? Um, he, so I was with. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention them because they're. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. going to see them later on, and, yeah. uh, you know, and they're bright young guys, just like you guys. Fast growing shared office yeah. space. Yeah, yeah. and 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 uh, you know, I, I love being partners with them. Um, they keep me young uh, or younger. Yeah. Um, and they've got different perspectives on things. So I was with Alex on Friday, yeah. uh, touring a property, yeah. and I go, oh, I'm, I'm actually speaking with Hal on Wednesday, mm -hmm. and he was like, oh, okay, make sure to tell him that it's out, because it was at 8 o'clock on Friday, mm -hmm. I was like, make sure to tell him we're out here hustling right. and focused. Well, so. and, and honestly, um, you know, as you get a little older, you get a little more conservative, and we've had a very good run for the last 25 years, so yes. I've been cautious the last four or five years and mm -hmm. and Alex is just the opposite mm -hmm. full steam ahead and frankly he's been right and I've been wrong so we, you can tell him that <laughs> <laughs> um, well thank you so much we really appreciate your time yeah it was fun yeah. thanks Dana. thanks Al. yeah it was fun did you have fun over there I did good Hey, uh, you just reached the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you have any ideas of topics or guests that you really want to hear about or hear from, we would love to hear that. Uh, let us know. Uh, reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, via the website, uh, myself, Sim, or Garrett. Uh, and also, it would mean the world to us if, if you're enjoying the podcast. It would mean the world to us if you uh, uh, shoot us a, a subscribe or a uh, a comment and, and just let us know. Thanks so much for listening. We have a lot of great content coming up. Uh, have a good one.